Hello, and welcome to episode 194 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is still most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the wood chippers. This week we're going to be talking about Fargo on your You Betcha podcast. So, Matthew, you gave this movie a 10 out of 10 on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Why is this a 10 out of 10 level movie for you? This is a perfect film. This is this a is perfect film. One of the most perfect films that has ever been made. There okay. is nothing in this film I would change, and I don't think there's anything I'd add. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's perfect. It It is one that... Like, I've wanted to discuss, discuss with you, but more than anything, I've wanted you to just to have seen, just to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the years, I've always tried to hold it back in the, this should be a monumental discussion. We should try to get a, a guest who reviews films full time or, you know, so okay. it, it, it's a big film. We clearly didn't do that. <laughs> but as we're now coming towards the end of the podcast, we should just watch those films, frankly. <laughs> and, I, and like I say, I wanted you to see this because it's perfect. Right. It's wonderful. It's one of the films that makes me happy. Okay. It, it's sensational. It's so good in so many ways. It's one that I've owned on video. I've got it on DVD. I will watch it pretty much any time. I can just leave it on. It's great. Did you have any expectations that I would love it or hate it? Oh, you loved just... it because it's a great film. It's one of the perfect films. So you have <laughs> loved this film. Like It's like with Hot Fuzz a few weeks ago. I don't even need to think about it with you. Like... like this is a so wonderful it's just not film. possible for me to like this movie. Yeah, no. that, that's what you're saying. It's, it's not possible for anybody to not like the, this the movie. stuff on Wikipedia in like reception. It's all you know. This person didn't quite like it. Gave it three out of five. Like mm-hmm. they didn't like it, but they still gave it three out of five. They still said, "Yeah, this is a very good movie." Didn't okay. appeal to them because they're from Minnesota, so they didn't like the take on the accents or you know something on those lines. Mm-hmm. But you have to respect what this film is. Okay. So all you. Right. You enjoyed it quite a lot, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Probably not yeah. for the same reasons as you, but... Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> I am disappointed you didn't start with that. Well, ha- well hey there. <laughs> it's great to see oh, you, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Wasn't quite thinking thinking about that. I was trying to make sure I got the you betcha in you there. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do that accent the way they do it. It's quite something. It is something. Mm. It, is, mm. it is quite something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there's our joke for the whole rest of the episode. <laughs> so I, I'm i sorry. I had to jump right into that because I knew that you felt so strongly about this movie. And so I skipped right over our big announcement that we've been making for the last several episodes. But do you want to go ahead and tell everybody about the retirement of Pop Culturally Deprived? Yeah, because we do have to tell it on every episode because I know people don't necessarily listen to them. Mm-hmm. As soon as they come out, they wait until they've seen the film, um, or wait for you know the right time to w- when they've had the chance to catch up on it. We are retiring pop culture deprived. So, at episode two hundred, that will be our final episode of this podcast. Um, we we talked, but there was an announcement. So, if you're on, if you're subscribed to Pop Culture Deprived, there was a um, an episode announcing this a few weeks ago, where we go into a little bit more detail about why mm-hmm. and what's coming up as well. 
because there is going to be something to replace Pop Culture in 5. Don't you worry. And we're going to start talking about that probably from next week, I think. Probably, I believe so. Because what we're talking about now is that episode 200. So episode 200 is going to be a celebration, a showstopper finale, he says, having just watched four series of The Bake Off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A showstopper finale where we talk about the films we've loved, talk about the podcast, talk about the discussions we've had, what how you are feeling as the deprived person the the, the pop culture deprivation you have maybe or maybe not anymore and what i believe you, the, at one point we called it depravity i think yes you did call it depravity <laughs> yes I, I like the generous use of we in there <laughs> yes I, I have to i have to make that a a we thing it, it can't just be me i'm not the only one who says wrong words <laughs> But what we also want to include in there is our thoughts on our amazing listeners, all of you. So what have you enjoyed about our discussions? What have you not liked? What have you disagreed with us on? What are you now disappointed that we're not going to hit? And what are your thoughts in general about pop culture deprived? The movies we're going to hit, not what in general of <laughs> A, you didn't hit Bean Dad or something. Um, pulling a reference out from weeks ago. Look at that. You can send us in anything. So you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Look up Eloquent Gushing and find a way to send a message. You can email podcast Eloquent Gushing. You can record yourself, speakpipe.com slash Eloquent Gushing. You can record a file on your microphone, on your phone, on however you would normally record. Do a quick Zoom call, record it, send us the clip. Again, podcast at Eloquent Gushing. Tell us what you think. You can say anything you want. We just want to hear from everyone and have some good stuff to include on episode 200. I keep nodding and people can't hear me nod, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I am really excited about episode 200, and I'm also really sad about episode 200, which is why I keep making Matthew do these announcements. <laughs> um, we had, on the day that we're recording this, it's January 4th, which means yesterday was the four year anniversary of the first episode of Pop Culturally Deprived. So it's just, there's a lot of emotions happening right mm. now. I'm excited. It was really strange that four-year anniversary of the first recording of Pop Culture Derived over the Christmas period. Yeah. Because mm. uh, we did record several episodes up front mm-hmm. uh, before we had ever even dropped one, before we knew each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? It was great. It was great. Um, but don't worry, Matthew and I will still be arguing about movies for many many episodes to come just not under this same moniker yeah go listen to the episodes there's a lot more information there and in the last few episodes last few weeks we will also talk about what is to come yes but today we are talking about the perfect movie fargo yeah so when you asked me last week hey what's coming up all i could say was oh it's fargo because the thing I did not want to do is set the expectation. Because mm-hmm. I think this is one I've been generally pretty careful about doing that because I think high expectations don't help this film. Well, I did see your tweet before I watched it. So okay. I knew already that it was 10 out of 10. Right. <laughs> but I told Joseph that you rated it 10 out of 10 and he was like, duh, it is a 10 <laughs> out of 10 movie. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> But then I had a hard time getting him to commit to sit down and watch it with me, and so I was really confused. Mm, okay. But we did watch it uh, yesterday, actually. And nice. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know that I would rank it a 10 out of 10. I don't know that I would call it perfect, but I also don't know what movie I would call perfect. 
but it's okay. probably going to be something like Jingle Jangle. <laughs> Crikey. Um. <laughs> just something that was made specifically to delight me, not exactly. something that's yeah, yeah, yeah. just really, really well executed. Mm-hmm. And and for me, this is a slight departure because pretty much everything in this film is to do with character. Yes. There's very little in this that's the... We, we've talked about the sort of the head and the heart in films. And, mm-hmm. and I like a film that really goes for the head, that makes you think, that does stuff that surprises you, that's... Again, particularly sort of genre fiction does this. You know, sci-fi loves to do stuff that are concepts you haven't yet seen before or think about things in a different way. This film doesn't do that. No, there was no mystery at all. We knew from the beginning what every character was doing, why Mm -hmm. they did it. You know, so we weren't wondering with Marge what happened. No. There there was no question Mm -hmm. that the audience was trying to answer while watching it, which normally in a movie would make me not enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But the way this movie was executed, I just, it was... This movie is like a day in the life in North Dakota. It's, <laughs> I mean, how many times did the pregnant lady eat? Like, <laughs> right. all of the times. Yes. And, like, we just get a shot of her husband's nightcrawlers because that's important to him. And it doesn't matter to the story, you know. A, a quick aside, it is important to show the nightcrawlers because a lot of people don't know what nightcrawlers are. Ah, So okay. I wondered if they were, like, bear claws by a different name or something. <laughs> And bear claws, I I know from having watched American TV, are Danish pastries. Oh, so you thought it was a bag of pastries. Yeah, it could have been anything. So <laughs> Until you saw all the worms. Mm. Showing <laughs> okay. us it is a creepy crawly, yeah. I, I think is important. I mean, you don't even <laughs> need to mention the nightcrawlers, but it is... It, even that really small piece is in service of how good Marge and... Norm. Norm are. That, that they are good people. And, and the actual, the core story, and I'm not sure whose film this is, but by and large it's Marge's film. The core story is, Catherine said it's like an episode of Columbo, which is just watching a good detective at work for the film. And hmm, just yeah. step by step, good policing, people following up on leads, finding things out. It, uh, and this is where I think it does have what I like in a film, the the, the intellectual reward, the the, the you know interest of how it all comes together because i'm watching the film be made you saying like it's a well executed film mm-hmm. absolutely right the shots the pacing the way you have characters in opposition of each other and playing off and, and, and having scenes together the way you're watching different things happen it, they're not doing as what they will do later on in their career sort of zany heist and when i say they i mean the coen brothers zany heist things go wrong it's a comedy of errors oh he's you know tried to scatter the ashes of his friend but a wind picks up and covers them in the ashes and it's all funny because it's so ridiculous by and large everything goes right and everyone does what they should do at the right time well so everything goes right for marge nothing goes right for jerry so it is still that that comedy of errors but it wasn't shot in such a way where we're supposed to be humored by it yeah it wasn't it wasn't he wasn't inept for our amusement he was just inept because <laughs> he's a car salesman yeah he's, he's an inept person he is yeah pretty morally bankrupt mm-hmm. by and large but also utterly spineless yes so really interesting to see that person in that situation and but the criminals get pulled over 
and it's about to go wrong for them. So they have to do something with the police, so they get seen, so they have to do something with those people. So it's it's not, oh, this is a ridiculous situation they've ended up in. Mm-hmm. It is It is the world runs as the world should run. Yes. And people react much. to it. But at the same time, it's funny. And at the same time, it's thrilling. And I love that all of those work together. I don't know that I would use the word thrilling, but... Oh, that hi- that the high-speed car chase. Is your heart not going? And, and when Marge is going up to him and he's shoving the thing in the woodchip and you're like, not Marge, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, actually, yes, I was very much going, don't go up there by yourself. Yeah, right. And Steve Buscemi, don't turn your back on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are you an idiot? <laughs> so, okay, there were moments and, you know, the unexpected axe chop instead of shooting him. Yeah. Can we talk about how good Peter Stormare is, though? I mean, Peter Stormare is good in everything. He he is another one of those Sarah Paulson type actors. Love him mm-hmm. turning up in stuff. Just like, oh, he good. Looks, Sign of quality. He looks weird with blonde hair, but... Yeah, he's got other a weird that, Euro like, trash thing going on. Yeah, but like 10 out of 10, his acting in this, mm-hmm. like he was properly terrifying. Mm. And he had so little dialogue to pull that off with, and he did it. Yeah. Yeah, he still absolutely pulled it out really well. Yeah. So other casting, I pretty much feel like Steve Buscemi and William H. Macy just played themselves. They played the character they always play. (sighs) Granted, as you said, Jerry was morally bankrupt, which we don't Mm -hmm. often get with William H. Macy. But if William H. Macy was morally bankrupt, he would be Jerry Lunderflipperger person. Yeah. Yes. Um, They were just themselves. It, it's really hard because I, I think William H. Macy, yes, he does play. I've seen, saw him described ages ago as a sort of very modern version of like a Jack Lemon, hmm. that kind of okay. all-American all sort of thing, a dad or a mm-hmm. granddad, but he plays the modern version in a sort of beta way. You know, he's mm-hmm. Jack Lemon was at least always came across as smart and wily, even if also a little bit underfoot. William H. William Macy. H. Macy always comes across to me as naive. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And everything, even in this, he was naive. Mm-hmm. You know, asking Wade for $750,000 for a deal, not realizing that they were going to want to invest in the deal, not give him the money. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just pure na- naivete. Naivete. <laughs> However you say that word. Très bien, madame. <laughs> um, and I think mixing... A character trait like moral bankruptcy with being naive Mm -hmm. is interesting. And you certainly would end up with someone so inept because he just doesn't know any better. And and even... It's good. Even at the end, when he tries to stand up to Marge and and she's not having any of it, his response is, i got to run away. And he just flees and eventually gets Mm -hmm. caught in a motel. (laughs) And it's just wailing. Yeah. I, I kind of love that we never know what the money's for. I was going to ask you about that. I was like, do, did we? Did I miss it? Because I asked Joseph that at, at some point in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know what some of the money's for, but I don't understand how you get from 320000 to a million. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't just me. They just didn't tell us. Hmm? I mean, because it doesn't matter. No, exactly. It's great that the, the whole film revolves around a little bit of money, as Marge says. Mm-hmm. Although she thinks it's 40000 not because right. everyone's dead at that point. 
but I, yeah, it's just it's really nice to have it be not about the background and the information that there's not some big expositiony thing of you know well you've got into gambling you're gonna have to get your way out or mm-hmm. just he's in money troubles and we're not going to yeah. worry about it in the in the big scheme of things and then the money just ends up gone buried yeah buried in the snow buried and somebody will find it one we, day we will loop back to people finding it um i, I again a thing I've, I've heard said about this film very long time ago now is Jerry is always in opposition of two people. Whenever we see him, there's two people opposite him. The people who are annoyed about the uh, coat on the car. Or his wife and her father. His wife and his son. His father-in-law and Wade. The two um, criminals. It's uh, it, Jerry is always coming up against two people and he's worried about saving face with one of them and doing the right thing. And so it's, it's very easy for him to end up browbeaten and outnumbered is the thing because he Mm -hmm. doesn't quite know how to respond pretty much until the end when it's him and Marge sat in the office together. And finally, after the whole film of people having a go at him and putting him in his place and, um, and talking down at him, he tries to do it to this small pregnant woman opposite him. He tries. And she it's utterly so controls pitiful. the situation. And we see it all the way through. Her, her mm-hmm. command of situations. Mm-hmm. Her with the, the, the policeman who's made the wrong deduction on the dealer plates. Her with Mike. Her with, uh, you know, getting information from people. And then finally her with him. And at that moment, she knows how to talk down to him. And that's when he ends up in the flap and is like, I don't know what to do here. I, all I can do is run away. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wonderful on, both sides of that, I think. And this is where, it, you know, the, the film comes to its climax. Just that, that scene is the big thing. It's finally the cop has got the person responsible for it all mm-hmm. because she doesn't let him get away with anything and she takes command without, ne- without needing to draw a gun or anything. She's just, sir, there's no need to get snippy with me. Right. <laughs> and he is utterly outwitted. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's I- just, it's superb. I think that's my favorite line in the movie is, sir, you have no call to get snippy with me. Oh, it's so good. She's just like, she's so in command of the situation mm-hmm. without being like overly aggressive. She just walks in with confidence that she is the sheriff and can ask questions and can do her job. Yeah. And it's fantastic. She's she's the smartest person in the room. And and there is very much the thing of she has to put all the men at ease around her. Yeah. But she still commands every situation. Mm-hmm. And it's terrific. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. Mm. It is good. I absolutely, I, I enjoyed this movie very much. It It makes me interested in the television show. Well, yeah. So the television show, I've only seen the first series, which is the series based on this film. Because it's an anthology, okay. uh, anthology show. Each series is a different story. Okay. Um, so the first one is telling the story. It's basically telling this story in a much more elaborate way and telling a different story. <laughs> well, because it's set in the 50s, right? No. And this was set in 1987. No. The TV show, the first series, is set in 2006. Oh. The second series is set in 1979. The third series is set in 2010, and the fourth series is set in 1950. Oh, so it's okay. So it's properly an anthology. And there are a couple of characters that you see at different ages of their lives. I mm-hmm. think, as I understand, I think the 
main policewoman in the police person, sorry, in the first series. Her father is the main police person in the second series, perhaps. Hmm. And there's a reference to him being shot or something, something on those lines. Okay. Hmm. But I've not seen it, so I'm looking forward to it. It was wonderful. It was very, very clever. And again, you sort of have a lot of respect for the acting because you can see Martin Freeman doing a take on what William H. Macy did. Oh, Martin Freeman's in it. You know, Martin Freeman's in it and Billy Bob Thornton's in it. And the person playing, and this is what I was trying to look up and I can't find it. The person playing the Steve Buscemi sort of character was Chandler's new roommate in like season three of Friends, Eddie. Uh Eddie, But has that slightly funny looking, fast talking thing. So he's very Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. And I can't find who played the other one in that pair. And I'm really annoyed because I can't find it, Mandy. And I'm trying to find it. Um, I They did get me. I believed the title card that this was based on a true story. <laughs> and I had to look it up. And it is not 100% fictional. Well, well. Let's go into this then, because this is the wonderful thing about this film. It's funny, coming up at the beginning and saying this is based on a true story, because it's not based on a true story. But it is, apparently, based on stories they heard. I I saw a reference to two stories, mm-hmm. um, and now I can't remember. Somebody putting a body in a wood chipper was one of them. And I, I wonder if there's a reference to a someone arranging for his wife to be kidnapped to embezzle money something on those lines maybe it's the sort of thing you can see them hearing a story and going that guy arranged for his wife to be kidnapped i bet there's something we could do with that i'm speculating obviously Mm -hmm. but that's i think where they're they're trying to justify the use of it but i think it's funny just to have it particularly for two outcomes from it one of which is people turning up with shovels thinking it was based on true story because oh americans they wanted to find the money and the second is the story of a japanese lady who died in minnesota in the snow which was reported that she believed that fargo was a real thing and traveled from japan to try to find the thing but it turns out there was a miscommunication between a police person and the media that led the media to believe that so it became an urban legend Mm -hmm. so the urban legend got made into a film called kumiko treasure hunter and Kumiko in that film is played by Rinko Kaguchi, who we liked very much in Pacific Rim. Okay. As um, Idris Elba's daughter. Mm-hmm. Remember, we liked her a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of a loner woman who's slightly troubled in Japan and hates, you know, her mother is overbearing and she doesn't like her co-workers and her co-workers don't like her. And she finds a videotape of Fargo and believes it is real and travels to Minnesota and goes through Zany Adventures. And I'm not going to tell you anymore. Okay. I'll tell you more off mic. (laughs) But I suddenly realized, like, I'm getting into a lot of detail here. And people might be going, oh, that sounds interesting. It's really good. It does sound interesting. It's really good. Okay. Mm. All right. And it is it is full urban legend. I suspect people turning up with shovels is urban legend. No, no okay. one's that dumb. I mean, if they made a movie about it, then somebody knew where it was, right? <laughs> well, that's exactly if it was thing. real, somebody already knew where it was, so it wouldn't still be. And there. this is a fictionalized <laughs> version of it, so right. But at the same time, Americans. Hey, mm. that remark. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, 
So that's what cool. Else? So I, I do like that there is sort of spin-offs from this and other things that have come from it over the years. Mm-hmm. I love that this film is the thing that made the Coen brothers properly famous. You know, they won um, Best Original Screenplay for this. Okay. And the follow-up to this is uh, whatever it was called. Big Lebowski. Okay. Which is, uh, and I I think when we have talked about Big Lebowski, it's an interesting one because Big Lebowski is not as good as this. And I think they're trying to do some of this similar quasi-thriller, quasi-comedy, you know, what is their staple Mm -hmm. with elements of fantasy and going even further. Some of the extremist groups and, and situations you see in the Big Lebowski. And I don't think it works as well. I think... This film being so small stakes, being all about characters rather than not knowing who's doing what and what's going on, is what makes it flawless. It's, it's something they've never quite gathered again. Even um, Oh Brother, Art Thou is wonderful, but I can see that it doesn't always hang together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm re-looking at their filmography and mm-hmm. I'm just so unfamiliar with their catalogue. Yeah, I mean, there's some tentpole releases and some small releases. It's mm-hmm. interesting how after O Brother Were Art Thou, they sort of go very serious for a decade or so. I mean, there's burn after reading in the middle of that, but No Country for Old Men and A Serious Man and True Grit inside Lewin Davis. Mm-hmm. They they started going very serious with it, and then they kind of pulled back and started doing Hail Caesar and Buster Scruggs and so on. Yeah, I've heard of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Haven't seen it. Uh, I did, yeah. I was disappointed, let's put it that way. Ah. But the other thing this is great for is Frances McDormand won one of her Academy Awards for this. She's fantastic in this. She is amazing. <laughs> this this is this is worthy of one of the great actors of her generation, which she is. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a, it's just such a sterling character. Mm-hmm. Just good through and through, but also incredibly clued up, incredibly capable, but mm-hmm. both socially and yeah, just, Logically. just just watching her go through the motions of the everyday life of a pregnant woman working. Mm-hmm. Like, she's fantastic. There's a scene that sticks out in my mind, and I don't know why, but I made note of it thinking, that's a fantastic performance. And it was literally just her sitting in her police car, eating a sandwich, because it's in the middle of the day, she's pregnant, she's got to eat, mm-hmm. and she's just, like, staring off into space while she's eating the sandwich. Yeah. And it's just so mundane. And there are so many people who can't do mundane mm-hmm. because when they try, they overcompensate, they overact it. And she was just perfectly natural. Yeah. And if you can do that, that's a mark of a really good actor. And so it just, it stood out to me. And she had so many moments like that. Yeah, just uh, throughout, it just keeps happening. And it's, I mean, and you're absolutely right. You're making me think of, oh, what are other people who, act with food and things. I mean, Brad Pitt, you know he's eating in a, in a film. I am eating. Mm-hmm. See, here I am eating a thing. And I am acting right. around it and so on. And it just doesn't feel... It's a prop. Mm-hmm. Early Meryl Streep did that. She was always using a hand, always had to hold something or be doing something. Mm-hmm. Wonderful actress, but... Frances McDormand, just... I, I don't know what it is. And I don't think I've seen her in too many similar roles to this. Just a really nice, good person. She always seems to play someone with an edge. Okay. And this. I don't know that I've ever, I don't know what else I've seen her in if I have. 
Um, I mean, she's been in a lot, so it's one of those hard things of you probably have seen her, but not something that necessarily stood out. I mean, she's in a lot of the Coen Brothers films, but at the same time, she's married to Joel, so... Oh. She would be. Did not know that. <laughs> okay. Apparently, she's in at least one Transformers film. Crikey. I'm taking a quick look. Yeah, no, I haven't seen any of these. Okay. But yeah, in, in terms of career-making films... The, the Coen brothers were obviously very famous for doing something interesting with their films already, but this was the one that everyone went, oh, they can actually deliver. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see and that. it stands out. Mm. I think, so this movie came out in 1996, right? Mm, yes. I would have been a freshman in high school. 14? 15? Something around there. Somewhere in there. Okay. <laughs> for those of us um, for whom freshman doesn't mean anything. Oh, yeah. So, first year of high school. Um, or possibly second year of high school. Okay. And so this would have struck me as a grown-up movie, mm-hmm. a serious movie. Uh, and it is, yeah. Uh, and that's why I didn't ever watch it, why I never had any interest in watching it. Okay. And I kind of wish I had seen it before now, though. It is It is one of the great films. It's just... It is. Yeah. It is really good. Mm. I, mean, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I say, I had this on VHS, so in the 90s, and, and did watch it many, many times because it's just gripping and interesting. And, and, I mean, you take away all that's good about it, you would still say it's beautiful. The shot mm-hmm. of, of Jerry walking out to his car and all you can see is snow and the set of footprints that came from his car. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to set up the camera very early. And then have access to the camera off shot to be able to get a shot like that together. Because they do the same later on with the airport car park. Oh, yeah. To get that sort of, you know, absolutely fresh snow. So the only thing you're seeing is your actor doing stuff on it. It's wonderful. Like, there is craft going on here that everyone mm-hmm. should respect. The cinematographer, Roger Deakins, um, he did, he's done a lot of the Coen Brothers films. I couldn't tell you how many, but a lot of. He was knighted. In oh. the New Year's Honours this year. so Cool. Okay. And, and he's also the cinematographer for Shawshank Redemption, Beautiful Mind, Skyfall, Blade Runner, 2049, 1917. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's done some really, really beautiful stuff. Yes. Uh, significant stuff as well. You know. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Cool. All right. And, and it's kind of hard. that, Like, I said that I wanted you to see this. There, there are films mm-hmm. that we want to watch so we can talk about them. Uh, Cuckoo's Nest is a film you can talk about. There's stuff going in there you can debate. There's nothing here we can debate. No. I think. It's hey, just, it is what it is, and yeah. we enjoyed it. What do you think was going through his mind when he bent the police officer over and shot him in the head? You can't talk about the... You can say, I can understand why he did that, and art isn't the effect of him shooting him something strong mm-hmm. with the blood gush over the guy's lap, like... Yeah. Ooh, ooh, this film just took a left turn. Ooh. It did. Yeah, I, I was not expecting it. I didn't know what it was about. Right. And and so first finding out that Jerry was staging his wife's kidnapping was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. then you think you know what the movie is about. Mm-hmm. But then you get the cop shot in the head and completely different direction. Blood has been shed, Jerry. Blood has been shed. <laughs> I am not going to debate you, Jerry. Yeah. I'm not going to debate you. So good. True story. So, funny story. Do you remember last week I 
tagged you in a Facebook post because somebody made a list of the 100 greatest movies you can watch on Netflix right now, and Fargo was one of them. Okay. Yeah, they took Fargo off on January 1st. (laughs) Guess what day I watched this movie? (laughs) January 3rd. (sighs) Yeah. You can still rent it. It just was not on Netflix anymore. Yeah, it's it's not streaming over here. I own it on DVD, so that's why Mm. we watched it there. Mm. I just I got really excited because it showed up in my feed as it's in this list that you can watch on Netflix right now. No. I, I mean, I did have to buy Cuckoo's Nest last week because you can't even rent it over here. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, it's such a hardship to be a movie podcaster. So is there anything else that you want to call out on this? Any particular favorites? Any aspects? Any plot beats? Um, I mean, we already talked about Marge as a character. Mm. Mm. Yeah, can we talk Marge and Norm? Marge and Norm are so adorable. They are relationship goals. Yes. <laughs> you know. Like, he gets out of bed super early when he doesn't have to to cook her breakfast before she goes to work mm-hmm. when she gets called in early because she needs to eat. But not only... He brings her lunch. He well, just... He does that. He gets up and and offers to make her, and she insists no, and he insists yes, and she insists no, and he insists yes. And then she has a lovely smile of, like, I'm loved. Yeah. And it's just, you know, they appreciate each other. Mm -hmm. You really feel like these two actors are in a loving relationship together. And apparently they they did get together and work out their backstory and all this. And you can see how that probably helps. Because then okay. you get almost the reverse at the end where he's been given his artwork's going to be used on the three cent stamp. Mm-hmm. And she's reassuring him. And eventually she reassures him enough that actually, yes, that is a really good achievement. Well done. That he's really happy and smiles. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they really care about each other and support each other in everything. They do. Brilliant. And their relationship exists outside of her job. Mm. Right. Their relationship was not impacted by this triple homicide that she was investigating. She didn't bring it home. Yeah. And I you don't see that usually whenever you've got, you know, it's it's a hotshot police officer who's (laughs) investigating homicides and can't have personal relationships because they're so messed up from their job. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is not what we got here. And it was fantastic. I mean, all we're doing is gushing about this movie, but I think it's worthy. I think it's absolutely worthy of it. Yeah. So... Yeah, they. It, it is so rare to see that sort of happy, positive relationship, particularly with a pregnancy, because you'd expect her to be dead by the end, or Norm to be uh, dead by the end. Right. You know, in, in dramatic TV. But instead, TV. she did her job, and she caught the bad guy. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's just it's so good. It is, it mm. is. We, we talked about the accent earlier. Mm-hmm. I have always assumed that's a slightly stereotypical take on the accent. I don't think so. Is it, is it actually pretty strong Minnesota nice? Yes. Okay. North Midwest, mm. like North Dakota, Minnesota is very, it's, I mean, it's, you can hear the, um, like Scandinavian mm. roots in it. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's a, it's a real thing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It, it, like we talked about this again with things like hot fuzz. You know, there's sometimes that you can mock an accent when you're doing mm-hmm. it, and I've never been sure whether they are or not. That no. makes me feel better that they're not. Because particularly the scene where she interviews with the two girls, uh, and there is part of the joke there is that the two girls themselves are not the sharpest pencils in the pencil case. 
Um, Trying to put it nicely. You've True enough. Um, and they're all just sort of nodding each other. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. It struck me a little bit because, you know, you've also got the stereotype of Canadians being very, very polite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you get a lot of that also in like the Minnesota area. Okay. And so that's how I was reading that. Right. Of just this is normal day-to-day polite conversation. Mm. She's not like hardballing for a lead or for clues. She's just going to do what she does to get the answers that she needs. And yeah, they definitely play up that with things like the the old guy bartender who's telling him what Steve Buscemi said to him. And you can see the the conflict between this, you know, hard-edged, I think Steve Buscemi's probably in New York, maybe somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. and these nice people here, and he's like, he says, you know, what do you take me for, you jerk? Except he didn't call me a jerk, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's great. You can quote this whole movie, can't you? Mm, yeah, good chunks of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not one that I think is quotable. Not like a lockstock. There's films that I've talked mm. about, you know, there are lines in it that you would take away. There's nothing in it that I think stands like that. Some of it. I mean, blood has been shed, Jerry. I'm not going to debate the whole scene about, I'm going to sit here in total silence, see how you like it. Oh, yep, man. Total silence. Total silence. Yeah, if you we're know. talking performances. And, and you know it's funny, because you know he can't. This character. Oh, and, absolutely. And Steve yeah. Buscemi at this time in his career, you know he cannot do that thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just funny watching him try and fail. <laughs> yes. I enjoyed it. Mm. There wasn't a performance I didn't enjoy. Yeah, it's all Even the scary... Well, I guess character-wise, I didn't like Wade, but we weren't supposed to like him. I don't think it was supposed to, yeah. So, and, and nobody cared when he died, so... His, his moment of, oh, what's the, the thing that Jerry says about, you know, I've got to make sure that Scotty and Gene are, are going to be okay. And Wade just says, Scotty and Gene never have to worry. <laughs> yeah, that oh. was brutal. Oh, that's cold. <laughs> that's very cold, yeah. <laughs> but it tells you everything. Again, it's all in service character. Mm-hmm. The, the plot almost doesn't matter. It's so low stakes. Yeah, absolutely. I, mm. I agree 100%. And it's it's hard for a movie to do that and have this level of quality mm. and to be this enjoyable. Mm. You know, it's a, there's a line you have to balance. And most people who try to do it just end up falling flat and it's boring and you don't want to be invested in the characters or find out what happens. Yeah. But with this one, they got it right. Mm. And and thinking about, you know, films from a similar time, Pulp Fiction. It, it, you know, I, I have been interested watching Pulp Fiction with you over the last couple of years because it's not as good as I remember it. It's not as strong mm-hmm. as I remember it because everything's in service of character because the plots aren't that good. But he's tried to make it feel better by putting it all out of order and you have to piece it together in your head and keep in mind what's, mm-hmm. you know, what's happening to whom and why they're wearing those funny clothes and things. And actually, once you get all that, there's not a lot there. Yeah. And this, there's not a lot there anyway. It's just great. It's just a big bowl of cookie dough that you enjoy. <laughs> yeah, the only good things that came out of Pulp Fiction for me are Samuel L. Jackson, Say What Again, and... John Travolta's meme where he's like questioning and turning around and there's an emote in Destiny that's that. <laughs> and that, like that's the best thing. Those are the two best things out of that movie for me. Yeah. I don't care about any of the rest. Okay. So. 
But Fargo, Fargo is one I recommend going back to. Yes. Uh, one of the two girls that Marge was interviewing in the bar mm-hmm. um, was one Miss Melissa Peterman. Good for her. This was a very, very early role for Miss Melissa Peterman, mm-hmm. who went on to play Barbara Jean in the Reba sitcom. Are you not familiar with the Reba sitcom? Nope. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> oh, Matthew. It's so good. And seeing Melissa Peterman in this was enough for me to say, that's the ne- next sitcom that Joseph and I are going to watch. We are currently finishing Last Man Standing, and we're going to need a new sitcom, and it's going to be Reba, because Melissa Peterman is awesome. So what's a Reba? Reba McIntyre? I, I don't know. What's a Reba you? That doesn't work. That's not very good. <laughs> no. You do know who Reba McIntyre is, don't you? No, is Reba a person, then? Reba is a person. Okay. She's a, a singer, a country singer. Oh. Um, very, very famous, popular in country music circles, at least. Was she in Nashville? No. I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> if she's not Nashville or, like, Dolly Parton. I, I don't... There. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, she's on Dolly Parton level. Crikey. She, there was 126 episodes of this show. Yeah. Crikey. Crikey. Yeah, no, it was so good. So good. Well... Well, if you get it, you'll have to see if there's a way that I can watch it as well. I will I will check it out and tell you. I mean, is it a country singer sitcom? Um, I mean, she doesn't play a singer. Oh, okay. She's just a mom. Oh. Oh, how disappointing. I was hoping you were going to be like, it's basically Nashville is filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> you know? No, no, no. It, it doesn't have it doesn't have singing in it. But it is it's a, it's a comedy. Okay. Um, it's about a woman whose husband cheated on her. He's a dentist with a dental hygienist, and leaves her and marries said dental hygienist, who is one Barbara Jean. Okay, okay. And then they kind of end up becoming all one big happy family together. Of course, they by do. the end of it, of course they do. But it's hilarious. Actually, hilarious. I think so. Okay. I really enjoy the show. Okay. Well, if you can find a way for me to watch it. We can check it out. I'm curious how many people are going to tweet at us and say, Mandy, you have lost your mind. <laughs> Matthew will hate that show. I mean, I'm looking is- at the actors and what else they've been in. One of the guys was <clears throat> the nice computer geek guy in the DOA film. One of the women played Ariel on Once mm-hmm. Upon a Time. Yes. And one yes. of the women appears to have been Naomi Wildman. I don't know who that is. From Voyager, the captain's assistant. Oh. Remember Ensign Wildman had a daughter on Voyager? And we yes. saw her grow up and blossom into young Naomi Wildman. That actress also played oh, yes. Kira Hart on Reba. Yes, that is Kira. That is true. Well. Um, didn't you and Catherine watch Sweet Magnolia on Netflix no. last year? I thought you did. Catherine might have done that, and I might have oh. been in the room. <laughs> okay, because that's the one where I was complaining that they were like going way too hard on the Southern stereotypes. Okay. I remember having the conversation with you, so maybe you just watched the first one, but Joanna Garcia is the lead in that show. Oh. She's in Reba, too. So, Which one's Joanna Garcia? Um, the one who's Ariel. Ariel. Okay. Yep. Sweet Magnolias. Very good show once you get past the egregious... Yes. This Southern. is the one about the woman who... Uh, the women who run a spa together. Yes. Yes. We yes indeed we watched this. It's embedded <laughs> in my memory for its memorability. Right, right. <laughs> All right. We have gone wildly, yes. wildly off topic from Fargo. We've gone from Dakota down to the Carolinas. 
As long as there's right. a north and a south of a state, we're there. <laughs> okay, that's a you know what? That's a good segue. Good way yep. to get us there. <laughs> um, so, Matthew, what is next? Next is um, a film that's all about family and going fast. It's The Iron Giant. I didn't know it was about either of those things. Okay. I'm trying to remind you why why this film occurred to you. Because <laughs> we mentioned it recently when we talked about early Vin Diesel roles. Oh, that's right. It's Vin Diesel who was the he was the Iron Giant. He is indeed the Iron Giant. Okay. So you can imagine he's chatty, won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Here's all I know about the Iron Giant is I know what the Iron Giant looks like. And they talked about it in Ready Player One. <laughs> That's all I got. Well, there's a high watermark of quality for you. I liked Ready Player One. Mmm. Mmm. Yes. Um, Based off a book that I must have read many times as a child, so I might even try and find it. Okay. To read it, because I know this is is based into, you know, in the same way Fargo is based on a true story. But I do remember the thing about I, it's not even called the Iron Giant. It might be called like the Iron Man or something. About a robot that lands and has to piece itself back together and stuff. Just remember it being cool. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Let's try and All find right. it. Well, that is what we're watching next week. Good. Um, don't forget, our 200th episode is coming up, and we would really like to hear from all of you. You can send us text messages. Uh, email messages, direct messages. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us at Eloquent Gushing, or you can email us to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Voice messages would be the most amazing thing because we'd love to include them in the show. You can do that however you would like to get a recording and um, send us that file at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Any way you can think of to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us. We're everywhere. (laughs) Are we not everywhere, Matthew? Yes. Having just sent up a blink camera. I'm like, yes, you can log in and leave me a message over the blink camera <laughs> and watch me. Should you want to. That's creepy. <laughs> it's on top of the extractor fan so that we can watch what the cats do at night because we keep hearing them banging in the kitchen. Ah. Uh, and I think I think there's a rubber ball down there that he gets out and plays with at night against the door. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a cat. So I've set up a camera so I can watch and see what's actually going on. <laughs> All right. Well, you may not be able to find me on a camera anywhere, but you can find me on Twitter at Mandy K if you would like to talk to me directly. And you can find me. I'm behind you. I'm not. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. Don't forget to check out our Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can get access to bonus content and physical merch and all sorts of exciting things. And as ever, you can have the warm glow in your heart knowing that you are supporting us in creating new shows and bringing you all sorts of exciting things into your ears on your podcast channels. You can find out more by going to Patreon, patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Vin Diesel on the Iron Giant. Until then, I am Mandy Kay. And you're Don Tootin. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.